This is DevOps and Agile Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. So after, I think, five episodes or even six where I talked about columns and explained every single letter, today I have the guest again. Finally, for some of you, I'm really happy to introduce to you Luca Mezzarilla, who is the serverless architect in AWS. May I say that in this way? Because you are architect, right? In serverless area, let's say this way. So thank you very much, Luca, for, for joining me today and accepting my invitation. I really expect to learn a lot from you, from your experience. I believe we will have like a very interesting Uh, discussion today because your your experience your presence is really great and uh, i was looking forward to to have you in my show oh, thank you very much pavel it's a pleasure being here and i'm looking forward to our discussions right perfect thank you so first question i promised you some kind of <laughs> strange question i found when i when i looked on your experience etc i found something what today we can find a little bit <laughs> let's say embarrassing so if you you were a flash developer on the on the beginning of, of your career right so uh, you know of course we have um some opinion about flash today right so how it come that you, that you started with flash uh that that's a good question so i i started when i was 17 uh, um because i was i was working i'm a self thought so i i was working in a warehouse when i was 16 and uh 17 a colleague of mine told me have you ever seen these things and uh, he showed me like html4 Uh, so that's very interesting, super cool. So you write some code and something visualizing the, in the computer. It's amazing. Uh, and they give me this, this 500 pages book on HTML4, the most <laughs> boring book that I've ever seen in my life. But I basically smash it in uh, one week. And usually mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, let's say, a habit uh, reader. I, I'm not, let's say, really good on... I, I still today, I'm reading only tech books. That's the only thing that triggers me. Uh, <laughs> all the rest, uh, romance or other things, uh, crime uh, books and stuff like that, I, I don't read them. So at, at, after HTML4, back in the days, Flash was another big thing. Yeah. And, and JavaScript definitely wasn't. And very often there are some uh, people thinking that, that Flash was uh, a mistake or for, was uh, slow, it was painful, and so on and so forth. The reality is, as everything, depends how you use it, uh, because it's just a tool. Um, and I can give you a couple of, of examples that are quite interesting. Um, when, when I usually share them, people start to say, okay, so probably it wasn't that bad. I, I started to use, so first of all, the productivity that Flash and, and, and the Flash ecosystem with Flex Air when was acquired by Adobe started to provide was insane. Because I remember with uh, two free people, we were able to do multiplayer games and very complex for large brands uh, and that will handle thousands of, of people uh, in, the, in, the same, uh, in the same game using Flash Media Server, using, uh, at some point, 3D uh, GPU acceleration, stuff like that. And it was like a really tiny team that the tool make us extremely productive because we didn't have the problem of fragmentation of platform. Everything was running in the Flash player or in Adobe Air that was using the Flash player. And therefore, we could tweak our code for mobile, desktop, and web very easily. It was very mm-hmm. close to the idea of write once, deploy everywhere. Uh, it wasn't, let's say, obviously there, but okay. And the other cool thing I can tell you that, for instance, one challenge that I had, and I think it was 2009, they asked me to do, let's say, to use Flash on a motorbike 
uh, to replace the mechanical dashboard uh, with mm-hmm. uh, a, a digital one. So in 2009, as you can imagine, there weren't, let's say, too many technologies for creating amazing uh, and rich experiences for the users. There was Qt. That was one that we evaluated. But Qt, first of all, there weren't many developers. And secondly, it was way clunkier compared to, compared to, to Flash. So what, we, what uh, I did, and that was like a, a proof of concept for uh, a large uh, uh, motorbike companies in Italy that is known worldwide. And we had like, uh, I remember uh, in 2009, there was the first Centrino board. There was the Intel board. The first board was like big, like my hand, mm-hmm. um, that contains two uh, processor. That was like mind blowing. We have both of them, and it was like so tiny. And we we basically installed that in the in the motorbike, and we were able to plug it into the engine. So we were able to get like RPM, speed, uh, gears, and so on. So all the uh, stuff related to the to the motorbike. And through a, a C daemon, uh, so a daemon written in C, we were uh, we were we we had like a strong SLA that was. Um, communicating with the interface and, and showing the when someone was obviously driving the, the motorbike, all the metrics almost uh, near real time. So the SLA was uh, under 14 milliseconds. So we were able to stay under 10. Uh, we use a UDP socket back in the days. Uh, so, so, and we were just firing uh, events every uh, millisecond for sending information to the, the UI. Also, if some uh, package dropped, uh, it wasn't a problem because uh, it was a big deal. But the thing was working like a charm. And even uh, that, that, for instance, uh, allowed me to go to Adobe in uh, France and Adobe in, in San Francisco because they were doing something similar for cars, but with flashlight. That was a technology for, for mobile. But it wasn't performing like the, one, the prototype that I made mm-hmm. with a Gen 2 distribution that was modified for having the libraries uh, of uh, Ubuntu, the graphic libraries for Ubuntu for running Adobe Air. And and they, I completely bl- uh, blow their mind because they, they were the engineers stuff like that. So how can you do that? And, and then I showed the, all the, the the things. So that was one thing that was uh, amazing. And the another very interesting project was one thing that Adobe told me it would never happen. So it, it's impossible that the team of five people would be able to deliver this. And it was a, a, a reverse engineering of InDesign. Because mm-hmm. InDesign has a format called IDM, uh, IDML uh, that is an XML format. It's basically like the vast majority of the applications uh, on desktop. They, they just create like a sort of zip, but with a different uh, extension and off you go. So we were doing a reverse engineering of InDesign. So from using InDesign, uh, let's say uh, authoring, from the authoring space, you can just tag certain elements. And we were replicating into a Flash interface exactly the same thing that then will be repackaged through InDesign server and sent to, uh, let's say, printers for uh, mm-hmm. print uh, 300 DPI or high quality uh, catalogs for uh, um, for big organization that Swedish organization I, I stop here just I, I give you your mind to think which organization it is uh, <laughs> that build uh, that you can build let's say furnitures uh, so mm. that's that's very very I need right? to think about this <laughs> which company is that <laughs> yes and those are few of the things that we were doing with Flash. But I believe the problem is, uh, as usual, there is this misconception that uh, the tool might be slow, whatever. But I, I think it's more the capability of the developers and how you interpret mm-hmm. the, the language, because you can do very slow, slow code also with C or Rust yeah. or whatever. It depends how, how you, you handle that, right? But if you are a capable developer, you know what you are doing, it's very likely that also high-level languages could work in uh, low-end devices. Yeah, that's a perfect you know, summary because uh, this is all, always, I said this always, it's, it's not about the tool, it's about the, the use. 
and how you approach to this, how you approach to the problem, how you approach to the solution, how you do things. So looks like Flash was good enough to have it as almost embedded in automotive industry, like 15 years ago. So come on, right? And this, what you said about proper implementation, proper approach to things, leads me to the more light topic for the first episode uh, of our interview, because you are not only the architect, you also have a lot of experience with community, you are author, you, you created a, a lot of, uh, you know, presentation stuff to, let me say this, teach people how to how to do things. I strongly believe this is uh, like a heart of DevOps and not only DevOps, but IT, in IT industry at all, because, uh, all right, maybe someone will be very uh, unhappy with what I say. But today we think about speed, not necessarily about the quality, not necessarily about uh, doing things right. We will come to this a little bit in the uh, second episode. But I think that big part, big responsibility of the community is to present the good approaches, present the good practices, present the good cases and also bad cases where you should do things in that way or different way. So how you deal with communities? Because you do a lot of stuff for, for the communities today. So, so what is your approach here? Yeah, totally. Uh, so uh, probably it's my experience that I had with the community back in the day. So I started to be, let's say, a professional developer uh, or working in this industry 20 years ago. Uh, and back in the days, there wasn't like Facebook or the other things. It was like uh, the community was on a forum and you need to do a lot of uh, meetups to meet people and I travel around Italy because back in the days I was living there and uh, I, I was part of this uh, community was ActionScript.it uh, that was um, one of the community on ActionScript uh, in Italy we think it was the, la the third largest in Europe mm -hmm. and and what I have learned is that because I was self-taught is the community helped me a lot on uh I don't know, drill down on specific topics, pushing my boundaries, uh, teaching me how to do certain things. And and since then, I always has had this idea that if it wasn't for the community, probably I, I wouldn't be here today. And I always say I have this forever depth with the community. And in, in the past 10 years, since when I moved to UK, I realized that uh, I had the, um, yeah, also back in, in the days in Italy, I was contributing a lot, but I think that I, I completely changed gear when I moved to, to UK because uh, I realized how lucky I am to be exposed to specific uh, uh, projects and, and challenges that are not happening to everyone every day. Mm. And I have this uh, strong sense of community. Therefore, I, what I try to do is trying to take, let's say, complex things that I have learned during uh, during my time that maybe take took me months for learning, and now untangle them for for the community. I think, let's say, in several cases, many people are surprised that uh, despite uh, working for AWS or, or before I was VP of architecture, I was contributing so much from code wise or architecture wise stuff, stuff like that. But the reality is, I I feel that is important because some somewhere out there there is another Luca that uh, is looking for that guidance and that specific things that might come from me or from other people it doesn't matter but I, I want to to think that there are people that might be that might be inspired what I'm doing and might be uh, and they say the topic that I'm sharing are, are useful for for them and for their organization uh, and therefore 
I tend always to 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 think, uh, and I became better, to be honest, over the years uh, and more structured to create content and and figure out what could be uh, the next thing that I could explain. That is, uh, first of all, is, is a passion of mine, and secondly, that could help other people to achieve uh, better outcomes. And I think that, as you said, the, the community has as these, uh, and I, I get that not everyone feels feels comfortable with that because, uh, uh, you know, maybe they never contribute to the community or stuff like that. But the reality is, despite your level of knowledge, what I encourage everyone to to do is uh, making a contribution because the reality is there is somewhere, somewhere, someone that is looking exactly of the challenge that you faced. And if you are sharing that, it might, first of all, it helps you to rationalize better your learnings. And secondly, it helps the other person to maybe cut short certain uh, uh, challenges and instead of spending weeks banging their head on the wall, they might have, let's say, a solution that in hours they can put in place. Therefore, I don't think there is uh, a shortage of, let's say, knowledge or or possibilities out there. I I, I really hope that people feel comfortable to share the community because maybe the first contribution won't be great, but this, as everything, is a learning curve, right? So the more you do them, the better you become. Uh, and therefore, I, I remember I started to do my first public talks. It was like 20, no, 25, uh, so 2005. And today, let's say I, I, I have done like over 300 public talks worldwide from Japan to Silicon Valley. And, and therefore, that was, and I can guarantee you till a few years ago, it, let's say, yes, it was good, but it wasn't great. And uh, and I always try to rationalize what I, I could do better uh, and trying to improve because that that's uh, a mindset that uh, is is uh, let's say coming with me uh, since the past twenty years. But the reality is, the more you do, the more experience you gain, the better you will become. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to to say, oh, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, I want to be a speaker, but I don't want to to do talks. So. You need to start. Somewhere. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, if you are the football player or for the American part of the audience, yes. soccer player, you cannot just go to the field and and be like a, another Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, whatever else, right? You need years of experience and a little bit luck. And this, what you said, resonates with me very much for two things. First of all, is this learning curve and how how we should do things, right? So first, learn, do, teach. This is the best way to establish the proper knowledge for yourself even. Right? So this is also the learning, even if you teach, this is the learning process for yourself. And the second part is uh, you touch the topic which I already spoke with uh, Victor Vedmich, also the AWS guy, developer advocate. Our paths crossed many times uh, in the past. Um, we worked together for EPAM, okay. now we are friends. And he said exactly this. It it is not about the level of the knowledge. It's about the willing yes. of sharing. Right? Because there is always someone, as you said, who is looking for this knowledge. And uh, my approach is here like to give to people something what I wanted to see in my past to help me be somewhere else than I was at that point. How do you think? Because you know, this may be this may sound strange for many people, right? So you are not experienced, you are maybe even on junior position, but we say go to the stage, small, big, doesn't matter, and share your experience. How <laughs> how to do that? Yeah, it's uh it's a tricky one, right? Very often one uh, one thing that I'm uh, I'm asked is okay, let's assume that they have something to say. 
let's put it that way. How can I find a stage? And I think, uh, you know, nowadays is easier than ever because you can have virtual stages and you can have physical stages. So I run, when I moved to London a few years ago, before pandemic, I was running a JavaScript community that I started because uh, there was a strong React community in London, a strong Angular community in London, but no one was talking about JavaScript. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, well, mm. why not? I mean, worst case scenario, that would be me and 10 people and I would meet these 10 people. That is nice, always meeting people and that's it. Turned out two years later that uh, it became the largest community in, in Europe. So the, um, mm. the thing is, in that community, what I, I was looking for was looking for, obviously, experienced speakers. That's fine. I had the pleasure to have quite very uh, well-known speaker in, uh, in the JavaScript world. But also I had, let's say, I encouraged people that uh, were coming there, listening, to also speak. Because very often I was talking with the with uh, with the attendees and would say, okay, what do you do? Where do you work? Uh, what are your interests? What is your passion? And and very often I had like people were coming from uh, listening to to a talk, and then uh, a few months later they were invited to to do a talk. And they they uh, for me the, the learning part there is very interesting because if you are going to meetups, I can guarantee you that every single meetup organizer is looking for someone to talk. At some point, because maybe they have like a short list of speakers, but because everything is is for free, why not do that? Secondly, you can do that virtually. Nowadays, you know, we have so many media that we can leverage for this. And also if you are based, I don't know, in uh, Italy or Greece or other parts where maybe the meetup culture is not as big as, as in London or, or UK, you can definitely reach these, uh, old, uh, let's say, these people and maybe organize a remote talk. That is absolutely something that uh, uh, many meetups are, are doing. The, the first thing is yes. bear in mind that you can always organize inside your company. Maybe you won't you won't reach a big uh, crowd, but the reality is it doesn't matter the, the number of people. What it matters is the experience that you are. Also, if you are, um, let's say, my mindset is usually also if there is just one person that picks one small thing from my talk, perfect. So I reach my goal because the reality is is not. The fact that you go on a keynote of the largest conference in the in the world, and that is the, the final goal. That doesn't matter. That if if it has to come, it will come. What it matters is that you are forced on your stuff to rationalize what you need to say, first of all, and that will create a solid mental model in your brain. And the solid mental model won't leave you no matter what. And you start to have more connections. And, and that for me is, is uh, extremely helpful for the speakers and extremely helpful for the people that sees a different angle. Because remember that when you are describing how you have done something that for you now, it might seem obvious because you pass through different stages. Like I have a problem and then I need to solve this problem. This is in my context. And then I solve this problem using the, the, the tools that are available in my context. And off you go, you provide the solution that provides benefit or not. It doesn't matter. As you said, it could, it could be also like a bad story and it's still interesting. But the other people that are listening to you has a different context, may, might come from a different background. And therefore, what you are saying that might seem the most obvious, obvious things in the world for you, it might be high opening for them. And therefore, for me, is you know, it's... It, it doesn't matter how big is the crowd. I'm still doing after 300 talks worldwide, um, meetups or or session inside internal session in my company stuff like that. 
because I see the value. There is another big perk of uh, doing meetups that you can engage way better with the audience compared to a conference. Very often, you know, after or before the meetup, there is the networking part and you have like, you eat some pizza that uh, might be, uh, let's say, similar to the Italian pizza, but so very often it's not if you're not uh, in Italy. I am and basically, there you can you receive feedback from people. You receive questions from people. And just to give you an idea, when I was writing my my second book, I the problem is uh, that the topic wasn't very well explored. That there was microphone tense for people that don't know about that. And uh, and 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 what I did, and I, I I used to define to my friends that was a community book, in terms that, in in order to understand what kind of uh, problems people would face embracing microphone tents back in the days because I was starting to talk about them in 2018. So it's uh, uh, a bit of, of uh, a few years that I'm talking about them. And what I did, I started to collect all the questions that I was receiving in every talk. And, and since then, like uh, I, I try to rationalize the most common one and then I put them in the book. Because I had an idea, but my perspective was uh, contaminated, if you want. Because for me, certain things were given for granted. For people, they weren't. And more they were asking about that, the more I understand what I need to talk about, the better quality uh, uh, the book was uh, was becoming. So for me, you know, it's um, there are so many great things that are happening uh, when when you do, let's say, public speaking, despite the, there isn't a big crowd. And the other thing is networking. You never know what you will be dragged into when when you start to broaden your network because very often it's because uh, uh, I started to have let's say certain collaboration or or discussion with people that I never met maybe or they have seen a video uh, on of, uh, on my talks on, on YouTube and it was a fantastic experience I, I never turned down these kind of opportunities for helping the community wherever it is because the what you can gain in a discussion. Uh, or, or uh, an initial collaboration that maybe in a few years will become something more is invaluable. So the, 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 there are so many perks uh, to, let's say, just do a public talk on a meetup or inside your organization that very often people are not thinking about. Uh, but the reality is I, I, I understood that it's not just the sharing and the fact that you became a better public speaker, but it's also all the rest that is coming uh, with uh, with this activity that very very often people are not thinking about. But for me, is you know, it's uh, it's now common that I go out with with the speakers when I see them in another conference and we start to let I don't know having a dinner together, breakfast. We chat about their, their what, what they are uh, experiencing, what's not. Uh, they give me let's say some hints on oh, I've seen these things. Why you don't do in this way? So there are so many things that are happening and so many feedback that you can receive for improving yourself. That I don't I know that there could be uh, let's say not intimidating at the beginning doing let's say public talks but the reality is no one is i'm i'm nervous when i go to a to a stage that people says well it's impossible but i am and it's normal because if you are not you probably deliver not a great talk if you are too relaxed on a stage it's very likely that you won't be able to do the best that you can if you are still nervous after 300 talks it means that you that it matters for you it means that you're going there and you will do the best that you can. And yes, there will be some improvements, but surprise, surprise, after 300 talks, I'm, I'm still looking for improvements because there are some things that I'm, I'm screwing up on the stage and I try to hide them as, as better as I can. But 
it's not always possible. And I realize from that. So for me, you know, it's uh, it's a long, let's say, answer, but I believe that uh, the, the importance is that that we try to understand that it's not just a public talk and we shouldn't be intimidated on doing that because someone will benefit from that. Yeah, that's that's great answer. So it, it was not long, really, because at least, you know, it... <laughs> Well, time is relative. So for me, it was yeah, exactly. uh, it was great listening, really. So thank you for for this uh, answer. And you touch a very interesting point of the remote meetups, right? Because um, yeah. I'm jumping a little bit, so I'm shortened the road of the speaker, let's say, with meetups, conferences. Of course, there is a different dynamics between speaker and audience, but there is a dynamic, right? Because you look on the people, people are looking on you, you see how they react. My approach to, to talks is um, maybe a little bit strange, but when I see that people are not really um, buying or understanding what I'm saying, I'm changing a little bit the you know the direction where I go. It's tricky. It not, not always works as I would like to, but but still, with remote, the problem is that you do not see the audience, you do not see how they react, you do not see if they listen to you or just having the the you know the meetup opened and that that's it. So there are ways to make this experience a little bit more easy for speaker. For example, I've got on my camera, I got this like a ice you know put, so I'm speaking to someone. From your experience, what's, what difference and how you overcome this difference uh, for the remote talks? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I heard several people that are trying to, to visualize someone uh, while they were talking to a camera. For me, it was never a problem. I don't know why, but um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm quite comfortable talking uh, to just a monitor and I don't see anyone. But, you know, it's it's a personal, right? Mm-hmm. So usually what I do is I just I, I, I change the way I communicate uh, when I, I do online talks. Because, um, you know, the body language is extremely important for a speaker. The fact that you can emphasize with just, let's say, I don't know, a, a hand uh, that for Italian is quite common. <laughs> uh, when, when you are saying something specific uh, uh, or, or whatever, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very powerful. With the fact that you can move into the stage, go in front of, of the audience and just emphasize there is extremely powerful. You cannot when you are doing virtual talks. But you can add, let's say, some some breaks. And what you need to learn there is the heart of poses. So when you are when you are talking, uh, there are different ways that you can emphasize. Uh, usually in in public talks, in person, I tend to uh, to cover uh, a lot of ground, and uh, I'm not the classic speaker uh, where they, uh, there are many speakers that are fantastic, and that I, I cannot definitely do that. Uh, that they they add a lot of uh, mimi and uh, all the jokes inside it. I, I honestly, I tried, I failed miserably, <laughs> and I said, okay, no, it's not something that I'm capable to. But that that could be one thing. But the other thing is the art of poses. So for me, is um, is important that in order to emphasize something. You can leverage poses because they're extremely powerful. So if you are, for instance, saying a powerful sentence that for you are the key things for, for what you need to say, and then you pause after, that silence of few seconds, it doesn't have to be 30 seconds, but like few seconds, that creates an emphasis that is tremendous. Why that? Because while you are talking, the attendees are listening and they need to 
understand what you are saying because for you it's crystal and clear in your mind, but for them it's brand new content. The pause allow them to catch up with their train of thoughts and then suddenly click. And that click is, uh, is the way how you are basically emphasizing things because they immediately get to the point if it was crystal and clear what you were describing uh, very often. And as you can see, the, 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 the simplicity of doing this kind of technique uh, that works perfectly, by the way, on uh, virtual, virtual session or virtual public talks is, uh, is incredible uh, because uh, it's simple, it's super effective, and people understand. Uh, it's obvious that if you tend to, let's say, provide exactly the same intonation, the same uh, importance to all the talk, nothing is important. Because the they, they, they attendees has to understand what is the part that could matter for them. But if you do the effort during the rehearsal phase to say, okay, this is one thing that they need to capture. And sometimes you can do with, uh, with hooks. Very often another trick is not talking about you, but talking about what they are gaining. That they mm-hmm. beginning, one of the tricks that I learned in several training that I had from Adobe, AWS, etc., is you need to have a strong hook at the beginning where you explain what is in there in your talk for the audience. If you start saying, uh, I don't know, this is the problem space that I have. So I don't know, the complexity of microserv- microservices lies on uh, uh, the communication structure of, of your organization. That's quite a bold statement. And then you and then you can continue the, the introduction. You probably experience that you have to, to, let's say, you want to work independently, but at some point you need to work with other teams. And you start to have these clashes that basically slow down the development of things. So you problem space. You immediately give them the problem space that is something tangible, something that you know that maybe not everyone, but most majority of the people have experience. And then you say, and during this talk, we are going to find three techniques where we are going to explain uh, how to overcome those. So you are immediately hook them. And, and that is, let's say, a super strong opening. And, and, and then in the, when you are structuring your talk, that is especially for virtual, is very likely, as you said, that people switch, that, uh, turn off their mind. Okay, so they maybe, I don't know, they receive a tweet, a tweet uh, or they receive a, a notification, whatever. Usually what you structure your talk and um, what I call like the, the, the flexible slides, uh, you create, let's say, some, some different chapters. So area of your talk that uh, are short enough to say, I want you to describe in the first part this and the second part that. And then slowly but steady, you are uh, allowing people to jump off and in into your talk because you have this chapter. Maybe some chapter they don't care because they believe that it's, they already know enough for that part. And maybe they care more when you move to the, another thing. And that basically impacts your, your uh, uh, delivery because you are forced in, uh, to, let's say, stop and start a new chapter. And that will emphasize, uh, let's say, to to immediately uh, switch gear and move into a new topic. So those are some of many tricks that usually uh, you can use as a speaker for recreating the engagement and, and bring them back into what, what, what you are saying. That's perfect. Thank you very much for sharing these tips because the, this is very important. To keep the attention of people is is tricky part and not that easy. No. So the time is flying very fast. Uh, time is very relative. Unfortunately, we need to finish the, the first part of our interview right now. I have like thousand more questions about, uh, about these topics, but uh, we can summarize this part uh, very simply. 
is not the matter how experienced you are. It's the matter of your willing to share, finding the proper space to share, and do it naturally. Do it as you. And I think with that bombshell, we can finish this episode. Thank you very much, Luca, for joining me here and see you you. next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of DevOps and Agile Way podcast with your host, Pavey Pivosh. Subscribe, comment, and do not forget to check our next episodes. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Stay curious.